keep your Bibles open right there in the book of Acts. Last Sunday, we began our study of Paul's letter to the Philippians. And to start with, we took a step back to look at how the letter of Philippians fit into Paul's life as a whole. So as you might remember, we tried to walk through the whole story of Paul from his birth around A.D. 5, like 5 A.D., in the city of Tarsus to his death execution about 60 years later in the city of Rome. Now today and next Sunday, I want to tell another story. And that is the story of Paul's first days in the city of Philippi, the story of the first church ever planted in that city. The story is told in Acts chapter 16. Now, Branch just read the end of Acts chapter 15, and in a few minutes we're going to pick up and just keep going into chapter 16. But I want to be careful that I don't assume that everybody is really familiar with Paul's life as a missionary. Okay, we, we talked a little bit about this phase of his life last week, but I think it'd be helpful to actually go back first to Acts chapter 13, where he begins what we usually think of as his missionary work. So go back to Acts chapter 13 and look at verse 1. It says, Now there were in the church at Antioch, that is his home church at this time, prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, also known as Paul. Verse 2, And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. And so, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived at Salamis, which is a city on that island, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had John, who is also known as John Mark, to assist them. Okay? So I want to start there and just point out a few, a few things. I'll throw this map back up here for us again. And it'll be up there a lot of today. Okay, so by this point, Paul had already been serving Jesus for about 14 years before this story. We just don't know a lot about what he did during those 14 years. Perhaps you remember last week... So these are called the unknown years. Okay? The year at this point is about the year 48. Paul and Barnabas are called by the Holy Spirit, and they are sent out by their home church to plant churches. Okay? And as, as we read, and as you can see on the map, the Antioch will be the one on the bottom right. That's where their home church is. The first thing they do is they sail, and they sail west, to that island of Cyprus, which, by the way, is where Barnabas was from. So they go to where he was from, and they, they serve there for a little while. But then they go north to that place called Pamphylia. Okay, that is uh, actually, as they, they head north, they head right into what is today Antalya, Turkey, right into that region. We know that region because we have good friends who live over there. Okay, that is where... John Mark, who's, who's known better as Mark, that is the writer of the Gospel of Mark, that's where Mark, as a young man, 
abandons the team. And he heads back home to Jerusalem. Now, Paul and Barnabas, though, they go further north, and we put another Antioch up there. If you see that in smaller, smaller print, because that's where it gets confusing, because there are actually two Antiochs in this story. That they go up to that Antioch and other cities around there. That is called South Galatia, okay? And they plant churches in Galatia, the Galatian churches. And God throws open the door of his mercy to Gentiles. And Gentiles start coming to Jesus in a way that maybe has never happened up to this point. But God also allows Paul and Barnabas to go through a lot of suffering. This, this lasts for about a year and a half that they stay planting churches. And you can read about that in Acts chapter 13 and 14. But then at the end of Acts chapter 14, they go back to their home church in Antioch to tell them all that God had done. And they stay there for a good while, okay? Now, we fast forward to the end of Acts chapter 15, the text that was just read for us uh, a bit ago, okay? They've been back at their home church for maybe six months, and Paul tells Barnabas in Acts 15, verse 36, let's go back and visit the brothers and sisters in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord on that last journey, and let's see how they're doing. And if you read the, the letter to the Galatians, which was written in between these times, you know that things weren't always going really well in those churches. They said, let's go back and let's see how they're doing. Barnabas thinks this is a great idea, but he really, really wants to take his cousin, John Mark, because they're relatives. He wants to take him again with them, and Paul completely disagrees with this. So this leads to Paul and Barnabas going different directions. Barnabas and his cousin Mark, they go on in ministry together, but who does Paul take with him? You remember from the reading? He takes along a man named Silas. And this is where Paul's second missionary journey begins. And that's where Acts chapter 15 ends. Look at verse 40. Acts 15 verse 40. Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers and sisters to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Okay, this is the first part of Paul's second missionary journey. They go from Antioch up to Cilicia, and you might see that that is where Paul's hometown of Tarsus is. And they go there, and they try to help out those churches. And this brings us into our text for today, Acts chapter 16, verse 1. So Acts 16, verse 1. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there. Now, you might be looking on the map, Derby and Lystra. Not everything is listed on this map. Derby and Lystra are next to that other Antioch. Okay? This is where they had gone in the first journey. Okay? They go back to Derby and Lystra. Last time he, one of the last times he was in Lystra, Paul got a bunch of stones thrown at him until they thought they had killed him. And he goes back there. Okay? A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. Timothy was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. And Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. And so he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. 
for they all knew that his father was a Greek. And as they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem, that letter that Brant read about. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. Okay, now, on the map, even though we don't have all of these cities listed out, okay, they go to the cities that are right next to that other Antioch, the cities of Galatia. This is where Paul had planted the churches on the first journey, but now it's Paul and Silas coming. coming. And they get there to try to build up those new, very young churches. These churches are like a year old okay, at the time. And Paul has written them one really hard letter by this point, <laughs> the letter to the Galatians. Okay? And he gets there, and, and they try to encourage them. They deliver this message from the Jerusalem church as well. And they tell these new churches the decisions made in Jerusalem. Gentile Christians do not need to become Jews. Okay? Gentiles are fully accepted by God when they trust Jesus. They do not need to do more like get circumcised. Okay, now, at the same time, Gentile Christians should do what they can not to needlessly offend Jewish people. Okay, this is like the content of that letter. That's one part of those verses. But the main thing that I want us to see is that Paul tries to pick up one specific young man while he's there in those cities. What's his name? His name is Timothy. So look back at how he is described. Okay, Acts 16, verse 1 again. A disciple was there in those cities named Timothy, son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek, well spoken of by the people in this region. Okay, so Timothy is already a disciple when Paul gets there this time. Now, how did, that, how did that happen? The most likely scenario is that Paul led Timothy to the Lord on his other journey there like a year earlier. So Timothy would be a new believer in Jesus, maybe one year in. This is why Paul often talks about Timothy as his son or his child in the faith later on. And from what we find out later, it seems to me that Timothy's mom and grandmother, who are named in, a, in another letter, uh, what are their names, Eunice and Lois, that both of them also become believers in Jesus at that time, on that first, on that first journey. Okay? You also notice that Timothy is already, even as, as, a, as a young man, uh, early in his faith, he is well, well spoken of by the brothers and sisters and that is in spite of the fact that he is not just young in the Lord, he is young in general. Okay, by my estimation, Timothy is probably around 17 years of age at this time. The okay, third thing you notice about Timothy is he is from a mixed family. Okay, so that is true ethnically because Timothy's mom was Jewish while his dad was not. But that is also true in that Timothy's mom was a believer in Jesus and his dad wasn't. Timothy grew up hearing the Bible and the stories of Israel from his mom and his grandmother. And I think this prepared him and them for when Paul came in and told them about Jesus. Okay? But because of his dad's influence, Timothy, though he, had, he could have been viewed as a Jew, had never been circumcised because of his dad's influence in the family. And so this leads to what happened in verse 3. 
right? Acts 16, verse 3, Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and so he took him and he circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his dad was a Greek. As if Paul wanted not just a uh, co-worker like Silas to go along with him, Paul apparently also wanted to have a young man, a younger man, to go along with him too, someone still young in the Lord that he could mentor and uh, invest his life in. And so Paul chooses Timothy to join the team. Now, have you ever wondered about this whole idea that Paul circumcised Timothy there, who's from the churches of Galatia? This is right after he wrote them a letter. We talked a lot about circumcision in that letter, okay? And, and I, how do you explain this, okay? okay? Paul's strategy in each town is to do what? You already saw it in, in the text I read earlier. Whenever he gets into a town, even though he's an apostle to the Gentiles, where does he always go first? He always goes to the Jewish synagogue. And because Timothy has Jewish heritage, this is the key, because he has Jewish heritage, Paul goes ahead and circumcises him so that Timothy can join in, because Timothy can be viewed as a full Jew with a, with a Jewish mom if he's circumcised. And so Paul goes ahead and does this. As a quick side note, okay, this shows us Paul's desire to be as flexible as possible in spreading the gospel of Jesus, but it also shows his, uh, his commitment to never confuse the gospel because in another story, there's a guy named Titus who's a Gentile, and Paul adamantly refuses to have him circumcised because that would confuse the gospel. But since Timothy has Jewish heritage, he goes ahead and does it because he's very flexible in his ministry as well. In any event, the team has grown. Paul, Silas, Timothy are on their way. But the question now is, to where? Because okay? they don't want to just stay where they've already planted churches. They want to go to new places. That's why they've been sent out on another journey. But where are they going to go next? Look at Acts chapter 16, verse 6. Okay, you keep an eye on the map too. <clears throat> so they went through the region of Phrygia in Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Okay, so if you're looking at the map, Paul, Silas, and Timothy actually want to go where? They want to go to Asia. Now, this Asia is not what we think of as Asia today. Okay, we might think that'd be like going way east <laughs> to like China, that area, okay? This Asia is west, okay? It actually includes that city Thyatira, Ephesus especially, okay? They wanted to go west. Paul probably wanted to go to cities that maybe you've heard of. Thyatira, Philadelphia, Laodicea, all the seven churches in Revelation, Colossae, and most of all, Paul probably wanted to go to the most important city, Ephesus. But what does the text say? They were forbidden by the Lord from going there and speaking the word. Why? Is that not a good desire? Weren't there people in those cities who needed to hear about Jesus? Yes and yes, right? So why did God not allow them to go? The answer? 
We have no idea. We have no idea why God did not allow it. I doubt Paul and his team knew either. We won't always know the answers to all our questions. But one way or another, it becomes clear to them that God wants them to go in a different direction. So if they cannot go west, southwest, they might as well go north. This is what they, this is what they think. Okay, look at verse 7. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia. <clears throat> but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there either. So you follow that? Okay, so they want to go west <clears throat> to Asia, like to Ephesus. They're not allowed. So they try to go north, northeast up to Bithynia. They are not allowed to go there either. So verse 8. So passing by Mysia, they went down, which on the map is over, to Troas. Okay, now, now look at this. So this is, that's kind of that part of the journey. They go up, they want to go west, southwest, they can't. They want to go north, northeast, they can't. And so they just track all the way over to the water until there is nowhere else to go. And there they are in the city of Troas. Now, where does God want them to go? They still don't know, but there's nowhere else to go at this point. Verse 9. Acts 16, verse 9. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him or begging him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, the answer comes from the Lord in a vision in the night. Paul sees a guy, you see Macedonia, it's that whole region across the sea. And this guy is pleading with Paul, please come over here and help us. Paul and his friends immediately conclude, this is the answer we've been waiting for. This is where we're supposed to go. But did you notice there is a change in verse 10 in how the story is told? It looks like one more member has been added to the team. Did you, did you catch that? Look back at verses 7 and 8. Verse 7, and when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go here, but the Spirit did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went over to Troas. But then look at verse 10. When Paul saw the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to go there and preach the gospel. Okay. Who's the new team member? The writer. For the first time in the book of Acts, the author joins the story directly. This is Luke, the writer of Luke and Acts, a man who became one of Paul's dearest friends. Did you notice the change from they to we in the text? And that will continue for a while in the text. And interestingly, Luke, unlike the other guys, was a Gentile. So now the team has Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke, and they are on their way across the sea. Verse 11. So, setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, which is the island that you can hardly see in there in the middle, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there 
they get where they want to go, to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony, and we remain in this city some days. That's their destination, the city of Philippi, one of the leading cities in the whole region. Okay, and this is the last thing we'll look at on this, on this map for right now. Okay, they go to Philippi. And did you see how that city is described? Not just a leading city, it is a Roman colony. Now, do you see where Rome is? Okay. This is like a thousand miles away from Rome, and yet it's a Roman colony. Okay. And, and the city of Philippi had quite the history. Okay. About a hundred years before this, there had been a really famous battle in that city. You might have heard about a guy named Julius Caesar. I don't know how much you know about him, but you probably know how he died. I think that's like the main thing I think people know. Remember him being betrayed by his, his friends, Brutus and Cassius? Well, Julius Caesar had an heir. It was like his grand nephew named Octavian. And Octavian didn't like what Brutus and Cassius did <laughs> to Julius Caesar, like killing him. So he goes out to fight them. And do you know where they fought? The city of Philippi. Octavian won the battle in the city of Philippi. And from that point on, it became a Roman colony. Oct Octavian, by the way, would become the first Roman emperor. And he would be better known to us probably as Caesar Augustus. In any event, he made Philippi a Roman colony from that point on. And he did that especially for his military veterans. So upon retiring from the military, they could go to Philippi, get land, settle down. And one of the things that this meant is that citizenship in Philippi was really valuable. In many ways, Philippi became a Rome away from Rome. Right? This is the first city that Paul goes to in the region, and it's about the year 50. And what happens when they get there? We're going to look at just the first story of what happened. It's one of my favorites, and I realized this week it's only three verses long. The first thing that happens in Philippi, Acts chapter 16, verse 13. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. Okay, so this is the first Saturday, it seems like, that they're in the city. And where does Paul want to go? He wants to go to the Jewish synagogue. Now, there is, some, there is some debate about whether there was an official synagogue in Philippi or not, because in the text it just says they went to the place of prayer. That could be a synagogue, or that could be that there wasn't enough Jews in the city for there to be a synagogue. Okay. But either way, Paul assumed there would be some place where any Jews who were there would gather on the Sabbath for prayer. And he thought it would be down by the riverside. And he was right. Now, whether there were any men there or not, you notice the text focuses in on the women. There were women gathered there for prayer, and Paul and his friends go down there, and they begin to tell these women about Jesus. And by the way, there is a good chance that that would have been a stretch culturally. For these four guys to go over there and just start talking with these women. But 
if this was a barrier at the time, it was a barrier worth crossing. And they crossed it for Jesus. And this sets the stage for Luke to tell a very short story about the one woman that stood out to him that day. Verse 14. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. Now look at how she's described. She's from the city of Thyatira. She is not from Philippi. Do you remember where that is? I made sure to have that on the map. Okay, Phil made it blend in, but in there, because it, it wasn't on the map originally. So good job, Phil. Okay. She was from the city of Thyatira, just kind of west, or just to the left of the word Asia there on the map. Okay, I'm going to come back to that later. Okay, second thing, she is a seller of purple goods. And that is the one thing I have always known about her. I will probably date myself here a little bit, but I grew up in the context of the church, going to church when I was a kid, and, and I remember Lydia from the flannel graph. Okay? Now, I don't know how much of a generational thing that is, but this is like a poster board where you could like stick different people and places on this board and tell Bible stories. It's pretty great. We have one in our house. <laughs> I have never cut out all the pieces, so Trisha's, okay? But I remember Lydia really well, because if you ever saw the flannel graph about Lydia, about Lydia, everything about her is purple. She is like the purple lady. You know, she's got like purple clothes, purple hat, purple purse, okay? And you can tell from the text, okay, this is what is sold about her. She is a seller of purple stuff, okay? But even more than the purple stuff, the main thing I want to point out here about her is that she was a businesswoman. And as you read the story, it's, it's clear. She was really well off financially. Okay. But it also seems pretty clear that she is not married at the time. Okay. Now, there's a good chance that she's a widow, but it's also possible she could have just been single her whole life up to this point, or perhaps divorced. Okay. But at the time of the story, what seems pretty clear is that she is a single, well-off businesswoman. She lives in Philippi to sell stuff, purple stuff, that came from her hometown, because Thyatira was actually really well known in the first century for the purple stuff. Now, third thing you're told about her is she was already a worshiper of God. Okay, that means that Lydia was one of the many God-fearing Gentiles who show up in the book of Acts. She's not a Jew, but she's very interested in the God of Israel. She's perhaps like the guy Cornelius earlier in the book of Acts. She is a well-off Gentile who has been very attracted to Israel's God, and that is why she's at the Jewish place of prayer on this Saturday. But little did she know what would happen to her that Saturday. Look at verse 14 in the middle. The Lord opened her heart that day to pay attention to what was said by Paul. So Paul shares the good news about Jesus with Lydia, but the Lord opens her heart to listen to it and believe it. Okay. God had been preparing Lydia for who knows how long for this day. She was already 
interested in Israel's God. She was already going to the Jewish place of prayer. That means she was already hearing and singing the Bible. But on this particular Saturday, for seemingly the very first time in her life, she heard the message of Jesus. She heard that the king that had been promised in the scriptures she knew about had arrived, and his name was Jesus. He had come, he had lived, he had died for her sins and had been raised from the dead for a Gentile like her. And the Lord opened her heart to see it and to believe it. And look what happens. Verse 15, our final verse for today. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. And the very first thing she did after putting her trust in Jesus was to get baptized. That's what everybody does in the book of Acts. You trust Jesus, you follow him in the waters of baptism. It is a sign of true repentance and faith in Jesus. But notice, it wasn't just Lydia's life that was changed that day. The gospel moves throughout her whole household. If she had been married at some point, perhaps she still had some children living with her, but her household probably refers, especially in her case, as a well-off person to the servants as well, living with her. They follow right in Lydia's steps of faith in Christ and baptism. And then did you catch the last thing that she did? She urged this group of four men to come and live with her and stay in her house. If you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come and stay. And I love what Luke adds at the end, because this is the first story he's really involved in. And it's a little bit humorous the way he says it. And she prevailed. You know, she's pressing on these four guys, stay with me. And she would not take no for an answer. And I was reading something this week. I just love this little comment from a guy named John Stott. He said, once the heart is opened, the home is opened too. Lydia urges them to stay until they say yes. And as far as I can tell, Lydia's house becomes the very first meeting place of the very first church in the city of Philippi. The church planting work in Philippi had begun. Now, this is just the beginning of what God wanted to do in Philippi, and it's the beginning of a relationship that Paul would have with them for at least a dozen years. But as we step back from the story, I just want to think about it a little bit. You can read more of the stories on your own or come back next week for the rest of Acts 16. <clears throat> but there are three things I've been thinking about from the story that I wanted to, to highlight. Okay, one has to do with team ministry. <clears throat> okay, just reflecting on like what you can learn from this whole story. Okay? When it comes to gospel work, especially church planting work, Paul loved to have a team. In fact, I don't think Paul ever, of his own choice, didn't have a team. Always wanted a team. He believed in team ministry. He went out with Barnabas and Mark on his first journey. And when, and when they split ways, he did not go by himself. He went and found somebody else. He took Silas with him on the second journey. But not just that. Paul also picked up Timothy, a much younger guy that he could mentor and invest in. Not just that, he also picked up Luke, a Gentile doctor, to go with him. And not just that, 
in one way or another, Lydia joins the team too, at least in Philippi, a wealthy, single, Gentile businesswoman. Paul was a team guy, and he loved and trusted the people he worked with. And on this, I would just say, first, that I am so thankful for the team that God has granted us here at, at this church. I'm thankful for Phil, for our wives, for our deacons, and for all of you who helped to make this church what it is. I thank God for this. I thank God for you. But also, I wanted to think about this in terms of our desire as a church in God's timing to plant more churches. And I would encourage us to be asking God to raise up teams of faithful men and women who want to do that work together. Because it's not something we would want to just send one person to do. It is something we would want to send a team of people to do. So maybe you could pray with us and for us about that. The second thing that caught my attention from the story is the need to trust God to direct our lives and ministry as he sees fit. Because there's no doubt Luke is highlighting that Paul and his team had different plans than this. They did not intend to end up in Philippi. They wanted to go to Ephesus. When they couldn't go there, they wanted to go northeast. And, it does, and we don't know if they're ever told why God didn't want them to go to these places at that time. But they had to trust God anyway. And I doubt that was easy for them. I mean, a guy like Timothy, he joins the group right before that. And then everywhere they want to go, they can't go. wonder what that was like for him. Like, what did I sign up for? Where are we going? But God, in his own timing and in his own way, eventually led them where he wanted them to go. But what stands out as well in this story is that God did something else that reminds me of his kindness. And God did not have to do this for them, but he did it. And what is that? I want to take one more look at this, at this map. Okay? Do you remember where Paul and his team actually wanted to go first? They wanted to go to Asia, okay? but they were forbidden. Okay, you see the city Thyatira, kind of faintly in there? There's a pretty good chance they would have gone there. But God had different plans for them. God wanted them to go to Philippi. But isn't it interesting that the very first convert in Macedonia is Lydia, who is from where? She was not a Philippian. She was from Thyatira, the very region that they had wanted to go to at the very beginning. And I, I don't know. I mean, the text doesn't say, but I just wonder how that might have encouraged Paul's heart. And God does not have to do things like that. We should trust him to direct us regardless. But every once in a while, you've probably experienced this at times, God closes one door, <coughs> opens another, and then he just gives us a special reminder of his kindness, something special that he does like that. And we should thank God for his wisdom and for those special touches of kindness. And then the last thing I've been reminded of from this story of Lydia is to ask God to open hearts. This is a great way for us to pray when we come here on Sundays. I prayed this this morning. Ask God to open the hearts of all those 
to hear God's word. But this is also a great way to pray when you get a chance to share the gospel. Even if it's a quick prayer, as you're actually in a conversation with someone and you think that there might be a door opening for the word, ask God to speak through you and to open the heart of the person who hears you. Because we can speak, but we cannot open the hearts. Only God can do that. Perhaps that's happening to you, even right now. I prayed for that. Perhaps the Lord is opening your heart in some way to the message of Christ. If that's the case, do not resist for even a moment. But I also, as I've thought about the church, I know that God has already done this for most of us here today. That is why we are here. That is why we believe. This was not our doing. This is the gift of God. Someone preached, but the Lord opened your heart to see it and believe it. If you trust Jesus today, if you see him as the crucified and risen king who can save you, remember it was God who opened your eyes to see it. It was not because you're so good at seeing. It was the Lord who opened your eyes to see. And let's thank him together for that. Father, thank you for this great story. We're just getting familiar with all that you did in the city of Philippi years ago. And yet, even in this last discussion here, Lord, we are reminded that if we believe today, this is not our doing. This is your gift. It is not because we are clever or better than others. It's because you opened our hearts to see and to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray for those who might be just beginning to see today, that you will open their hearts wide, that they might embrace Jesus as Lord and Savior. And I pray that you will fill our hearts who do believe with gratitude and a good reminder, it's not because of us that we believe. And then, Lord, I also, I, I just want to pray that as this church grows and as you lead, that you would raise up among us teams of faithful men and women who will go out together, even in this city or around the world, to plant new churches so that more people may join with us in the praise of Jesus. We pray this in his name.